five, four, three, two, one, Bazinga. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your returning host, Sam Houston, and I'm joined by the ever-present Jordan Luke McDonald. Hello, everybody. Welcome uh, back to the episode. Nice to have Sam back on board after a brief medical scare. All clear. All good. Yeah, all good. I, had, I was in the odd hospital for a uh, for a bit and that and, and I had some medical problems, but I'm back now and I'm ready. It's been about a month since I recorded, so I've got a lot to talk about. Uh, and today we'll be looking at a few things. Before we get into that, it may be the first time we've ran an episode in a while, but it's not the first time that we have created content because we were on the Whiskies, the uh, awards show for our parent network, the New York City Drive-In. Uh, we went on there, we presented some awards. Um, you know, I presented uh, the Chabot Bozeman for his uh, best actor win there, uh, and, and you you chimed in on that one, and, and, and you talked about we talked about Saint Maud on the podcast because we we only people that saw it, um, and we talked about our favourite films, and you said that your favourite Rob Patterson film was, was Tenet and and everything, and yeah, it was a good laugh, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good fun. Uh, nice to sort of ch- chiming to some awards um new city driving expanding is uh you know they've got some new people on board this past week and sort of looking to expand and uh yeah just just nice to see those guys expanding at the network and uh just nice to be part of an award thing really because obviously we did our own awards uh in the past episode recently mm-hmm. and um yeah, yeah but a bit more of a 2020 um obviously focused awards uh, with the whiskies and some some uh, interesting wins obviously some of the films that uh, you've not seen um and a couple of a couple of films that uh, you vote that we both voted for uh, picking up wins so that was nice to see as well yeah and you know maybe some uh, some disrespect on a few films that i was particularly fan of even on a non-awards show basis they some hatred towards forrest gump uh, which is one of my favorite films and uh and there's some hatred towards mank but there was the the overall victor of the awards show. I think everyone would agree would be Promising Young Woman, which you've seen and I haven't. Um, and we'll be doing it on the podcast when it gets released over here. Um, and, and that picked up Best Actor and, and, and sorry, Best Actress, uh, Best Director, Best Feel, uh, Best Picture. Uh, I think maybe some other uh, other different awards. But yeah, of course, the star of that show being Carrie Mulligan, who stars in this episode's. Uh, film of the week that we're talking about, uh, The Dig. Uh, we'll also be talking about the Channel 4 drama It's a Sin, produced by Russell T. Davis of uh, Doctor Who fame. And we'll also be looking at this most recent episode of WandaVision, which we uh picking up from last week's uh, discussion about it that you and Lewis had. Uh, before we get into that, uh, I'm going to pull up on something that you said with Lewis. So you were talking about Godzilla vs. Kong coming out. Um, mm-hmm. And you talked about uh, being excited for that and the trailers, but you did miss out a very important point, which is: Are you Team Godzilla or Team Kong? And there's no one that isn't on the hasn't got an answer for this. There's no fence sitting here. It's a Twitter-wide debate. I, it's blown up more than I thought anything to do with Godzilla and Kong would off. But are you Team Godzilla or Team Kong? JL, the public wants to know. The public needs to know. Well, I've not seen any of the films, so how can I how can I pick a team? I think I think it's I've... simple. It's a it's a cultural ideological decision. Well, I, I I think I think uh, on on a purely 
uh, aesthetic level and a you know just you know who am I rooting for I think uh, based on what I've seen I think I'm on other promotional material and so on I think I'm rooting for Kong to be honest it's unfortunate that you picked the wrong answer there but I guess that makes some more debate going into the film as the film's going to come out because the real answer is Team Godzilla of course Godzilla's just um, like this space beast thing that just doesn't really he sums up the attitude surrounding uh, the fear of technology and the nuclear bomb itself obviously being created in the in the aftermath of World War II uh, it, it, I think it's almost a battle of sci-fi versus fantasy here. I feel like King Kong is this 30s kind of ancient, like, look, big monkey gets angry. It's like almost, you know, this this kind of archaic idea, whereas Godzilla is a, you know, it, it's flashy design and stuff. It's, it's old versus new. It's modernity versus tradition. And I pick Godzilla. He will be strong. He will be victor. He probably won't. They'll probably team up and fight somebody else in the end of the film. But if it was a real battle, he would just just radiation his face off. Okay. That was important. We had to get that out. So Team Kong, Team Godzilla. We've got one of each. We've got some, some I mean, I'm very, I'm very much Finally. a fence, uh, even though you say they can't exist. I'm definitely on the fence because I have not seen any of the films. I mean... On, on a purely <laughs> ideological level, I should probably... You, know, you must have seen... You've seen Peter Jackson's 2005 King Kong film. Definitely. I think I've seen that one. Maybe. The monsters look like penises. I don't... Penis oh, that, oh, yeah, that, that, that reference from the previous podcast. No, I think I've... I've seen one of the King Kong films. Isn't there two, like, from that sort of era, though? Like, two different King Kong films? I don't think so. There was a 2005 one, Peter Jackson. That's the only one I know of. That's was the... it Peter Jackson? I yeah. think so. That's the one where like King Kong climbs the Empire State Building or whatever, right? He does that in everyone. Jack Black. But there's a third yeah. one. There's probably a nineties one. But there's definitely a two thousand five one. Okay, I think that's something I might have seen when I was a kid then, but I don't really remember it that well. I don't I definitely don't remember the penis monsters. Well, if you watch it back, if you do see the 2005 one, which you probably won't need to, but if you ever do, you'll notice what I'm saying. It's it's pretty obvious. Okay. Um but yeah. You know, I'll tell you something, Joe. I'll tell you it's a bit of good luck I had, right? So, pre-lockdown, right, mm-hmm. I had, I had some, it was my birthday. We had already mentioned that it was my birthday a few, a few episodes back. And I had some mates around, whatever, because, you know, it was pre-lockdown living uh, between the lockdowns. And I just happened, they were just like, I was just sitting around, and I looked down, and there was a book token on the floor. And no one knows where it came from. No one knows whose book token it is. But I found a book token. I just put it on the side. And a few weeks ago, I pick it up. It's got 178 quid on it. No one knows it is. So it's just my free money, essentially. 178 pounds? Exactly. And then I just, boom. I just just spunked it on four Blade Runner books. I've got uh, two books. (laughs) No, five Blade Runner books. I've got the original (laughs) Do Andrew's Dream of Electric Sheep, the actual novel. I've got two graphic novels of Blade Runner 2019. And I've got two 20 Blade Runner 2049 art books. That's why I spent nice. 178 quid. Well, it's 100 quid of the 178 quid. I thought I'd mention it because it's, it's film related. But no, isn't that on. good so... luck, eh? Just found a book token. Wait, so I just spent you... that on uni work. Is that from your student accommodation? No, that was in my house in my in oh, like my mum's house. Oh, right. Yeah. I have no, no one knows whose it is. Mum doesn't know. None of the people that came to the, my house did. So I, maybe it came on someone's shoe. Or someone's embarrassed to have the book token. 
and therefore I just gave me 178 quid. <laughs> what but, if your yeah, friend just casually loaded a grand onto a book token? He's got some spare chain <laughs> hanging around on it. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you one problem with another thing. No, and another thing. I am scared about the content that is going to be coming out based on this GameStop AMC stock situation. I've heard about two different I've films heard, and I've a TV a, series. I've heard a Netflix film or Netflix TV show. No film, I think I heard. So I've heard three separate projects have been announced or, or even commissioned. It's still about going on though. It's a like week long. Yeah, it's it's. What are they? What's the film going to be about? Oh, this is what Reddit is. This is it'll, <laughs> this is a subreddit. It'll, it'll, it'll definitely spend a solid five minutes of the screenplay explaining in what Reddit is. No, I, I think. Um, uh, no, I think you don't need to make films about everything, and that is something that we'll be coming back to later on the podcast. It'll be it'll be, it'll be like uh, I don't know. I can't remember who I've seen the directing the one that I saw, that I saw on Twitter yesterday, but I think uh, it'll definitely be like. Uh, ideological thing like more than I think anything else like it'll try and like present yeah. some like views on the like the economy or something more than like just the actual events I guess yeah yeah you know it was a movement and yeah but yeah I was, I'm concerned for the content but without further ado what have you been watching since the last episode Jordan Lee McDonald not very much um I suppose since we since we lasted the podcast together that wasn't the whiskeys I don't think I've told you. I've been. I've Did started watching. Um, I started watching the U.S. Office for the first time. The American one or the English one? The the American one, yeah. So uh, uh, shame on you. Well, my friend was like, uh, "You should watch it." So I started watching it, and just every now and again, just for an odd episode on when I've got nothing else to do. And uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. I'm enjoying it. The the Steve Carell absurdity of just screaming every five minutes and doing bizarre dances and uh, John Krasinski you know of A Quiet Place fame uh, <laughs> sat at his desk no I think, I think it's quite funny uh, I think my dad said he preferred the UK version I've not seen the UK version so I can't comment but uh, yeah I think yeah uh, I mean, I'm, an, I'm a massive fan of yeah I'm like a, a, a UK version super fan I own all the scripts and shit I love that shit uh, but I, I can't vibe with the American one I think uh, it's just a matter of, of sense of humour, but for me, it just doesn't hit. But the Ameri- the UK one I love, so maybe once you finish that, you can compare. It's, They're very different. It's interesting as well, though, because obviously, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant are still, like, attached to the US version, right? So they still have, like, input on, like, scripts and so on, and, like, the actual content, so... I guess it's quite interesting to see that they're quite flexible in terms of, like, adapting their humour and stuff to more American audiences, I guess. I saw um, something with Ricky Gervais, I think it was on one of his tours or something, and, and somebody said um, the US, but on, because he didn't really have that much input on it after the first couple of series, and um, somebody said, uh, oh, um, the, U, U, the US one's better than yours will ever be, how does that make you feel? And he went rich, so <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. I think, yeah, I haven't, uh, uh, other than that, I haven't been watching too much. I watched a film recently, um... I've been trying to avoid earlier films before 2020 releases because I want to try and get through. There's still a bunch of the awards films I've not seen yet, and I want to try and get those in before Oscars season. Uh, however, one film I did get around to watching, um, which was an earlier film, was the 2017 film The Party, uh, directed by Sally Potter. It's a very short film. It was only 71 minutes runtime. Um, 
but it was quite interesting. It was like a, one of those sort of one location dinner party um, films. However, this time it's uh, British um, with uh, a bunch of different uh, sort of big names: Timothy Spall, Christian Scott Thomas, and Chilly uh, Murphy, and so on. Um, a bunch of like sort of big names. And ultimately, I've got to say, I was quite disappointed. Um, I thought the it it was kind of this mix of like comedy, like dark comedy and uh, sort of drama and and dramatic moments, and it kind of for me failed to blend the two. Um, some of the comedic mo- some of the f- moments I felt were trying to be comedic, felt too serious, and and vice versa. Um, but I'd mm. say the act the acting was was good, and the direction was a bit messy at times. It kind of um, you know the writing and direction, uh, both done by by Sally Potter, kind of felt like a bit muddled at times. But the acting, I think, managed to pull it through. Um, it, it was, it was. I say it's definitely worth checking out. It's only seventy one minutes, and it's quite an interesting sort of take on the on the one location thing. Um, but yeah, it, it was. It kind of fell a bit flat for me. So I think I gave it like a two and a half on Letterboxd. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're into those sort of films, I mean, I generally am. Uh, it was. It, I'd say it's still worth watching. It's quite short as well. Um, some really nice cinematography mm. as well. It's black and white, and uh, just some of the shots and some of the sort of camera work was really nice. Um, but yeah, you kind of felt a bit muddled in terms of genre and in terms of approach and tone, which is kind of where it fell a bit flat for me. But the acting was was still very good in in, in most in the, for the most part. So yeah, definitely one to uh, one to check out if you uh, want a short, a very short film to just throw on. Okay. Nice. What about you? You been uh, watching much? Oh. Okay, well, so I, yeah, well, I was kind of unable to watch films when I was ill, you know, I was kind of bedridden and stuff and that thing, but before that I did get around to watching Inside Out, which I'd never seen before, uh, which is good, um, and you can certainly, it's done by Pete Doctor as well, same as Person Soul, which obviously we've talked about so much and I thought was pretty impressive, I've preferred Soul, but I thought Inside Out was very charming and very good. I've finally watched Alien, uh, I've talked endlessly about my love for Blade Runner um, but this is obviously Ridley Scott's earlier work and you can see a lot of things that he's trying here that he goes back to in Blade Runner um, but yeah one of the ultimate uh, uses of suspense and I know you haven't seen it yet but it's very very good um, but but I have probably watched more content between two podcasts these two podcasts than maybe mm-hmm. any other because I have watched full 10 seasons well, it depends on your definition of what is season. Some people say there's six. Some people would say seven or uh, nine or ten. Depends if you count the films. Depends if you count running order. But I binged over all ten seasons, according to Amazon Prime, of Futurama. Because uh, oh, okay. I'd I seen the I'd, new ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I've watched something like... 58 hours or something of it uh, 148 episodes four films um, and I'll say the the films are you know we talk a lot about films in the podcast I'll say that the first film is excellent it's probably uh, better than, than the likes of it, uh, the Simpsons movie or whatever it's probably one of the best animated films uh, comedy wise uh, for me uh, Bender's Big Score but then the other three are kind of middling quality uh, but still pretty decent and then I'll say that um you know, I adore the first four series, but much like later Simpsons, I'd heard that the last series aren't so good. Uh, the last two series, the last four series, depending on what order you go for, because um, they kind of got split up. Uh, but for me, I thought they were actually genuinely f- 
pretty damn pretty damn decent inconsistent sure but um but pretty great uh and so yeah i feel like i've got a little bit of a hole in my heart now i haven't got any more future armor to watch uh and i probably never will because uh, they probably won't ever make anymore. But it's very, very good and one of the best television series of all time. Yeah, I really, I really like uh, the Futurama. I've, I've never actually um, like sort of watched it like you've done, sort of start to finish in in one go or anything like that. I've just watched odd episodes every mm-hmm. now and again. I think I must have seen some of the episodes sort of on Sky One and on repeat for like twenty times, and <laughs> probably could have watched half the series <laughs> based on how many times I've watched the same episode yeah. over and over again. But is it a what's mm-hmm. the the one with the um i forgot what it's called now like the tentacle thing and like the saxophone oh. or whatever, the flute or whatever it is is that a film or is that that's, that's a film right is that the a film? tentacle thing yeah the beast of the billion backs yeah second yeah, film that's the film okay yeah so i've, I've must have seen that about five times before or more um yeah, that's, that's all right it's nothing special it's not as good as the first film but it's all right that's a good it's decent it's yeah. david cross is it yeah, yeah, it, but yeah, but it, is, it is very funny. I just start, and I prefer it to the Simpsons. I think even when the it's, Simpsons was like considered to be like a a game at its peak in like one of the early seasons, or whatever. Um, yeah, I think mm-hmm. I, still, I think I still prefer the sort of the comedy and the characters and so on in Futurama. So yeah, 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 me too. I think Simpsons is excellent. I'm a big Simpsons fan, but I think that Futurama. That nails the likability and comedy of the characters so much and has a lot more to, to explore because it hasn't got the restraints of 21st century living. Um, but yeah, so that's what I've been watching. And I think that's about it. Should we go into WandaVision? Yeah, let's go for it. So you looked at WandaVision last week. Uh, obviously, you haven't heard my thoughts on the first three episodes, but they are positive. Uh, I will say straight up, um, I enjoyed uh, the sitcom style and I thought it was fun. And, uh, of course, um, for anyone that hasn't seen uh, WandaVision, the first three episodes were kind of looking through uh, the, the lives of, of these two superheroes, two Marvel superheroes, uh, Scarlet Witch, a.k.a. Wanda, and, and, and her partner Vision, uh, through a, a kind of old sit- sitcom-style first episode mimicked the 50s, the second, the 60s, and no prizes for guessing, the, seventh, the third was the 70s. Um, and, and, of course, you reviewed it, and, and I believe you had pretty positive things to say correct uh yeah overall yeah 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 um and i did see, and, and episode four was a change from the norm and it looked from an outside point of view at the situation that was happening in the real world and, and kind of how this was all happening within a stephen king style bubble around this village and you know there was there's, there's signals coming out and it, it kind of shows a post-blip world, the Avengers Endgame timeline, um, and, and kind of people trying to deal with it and find out what's happening in Wanda's world, pardon me. Um, so I did see you on Twitter actually say that this is the worst episode of WandaVision so far. And I would like to go straight up say that I think that's an unfair statement to make because you, this is the first episode of the series in many ways for me because the first three are of... A internal series, a series within the show, it's not really what WandaVision is. So I think it's unfair to compare the very, very stark contrasts of the genres and the the series and, and the show of what it is between those two. You know, this is the first time we've seen this universe. You know, before it's I think maybe I don't know, what do you say? How would you defend that? I just think in terms of just the 
overall quality and like the writing and um, just its approach really. I feel like obviously the the fourth episode going into sort of more the the more you know outside the bubble kind of so to speak had to you know explain somewhat what's going on and kind of explore the the outside perspective and have the different you know agents and so on investigating what's happening and and get more of a, a neutral perspective on on what's happening i just felt overall though that it kind of felt a bit flat and in comparison and obviously it's that's kind of a bit harsh because you know the first episodes for me were were very strong and i really enjoyed that format from the sitcom format and just uh, i just thought the the writing of the fourth episode i mean in comparison to like the, the I remember obviously the first, the first three episodes are kind of very light-hearted and comedic and you know stylized and over the top and, and everything else that comes with the sitcom format but i just feel like the writing of the fourth episode kind of just fell into so many cliches and tropes and just very dull i thought the fourth episode not not like like just just overall i feel like some of the the dialogue was was quite poor and uh some of the acting was wasn't the best for, for me personally um and just some of like i don't know i just felt very um just felt very fly in comparison i mean that's kind of harsh i guess as i said in comparison you know the stark contrast of genres as you mentioned but i mean even even scenes of like you know a quiet place level you know you've got a whiteboard let's write down all this stuff on a whiteboard and 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 i don't know i mean it is a family show at the end of the day but i'm trying i don't know just showing just just kind of showing so much stuff like there's that whiteboard bit where they're writing all stuff down and it's like what does this mean what is this what what is this like it, it, treat the audience with a bit more respect i feel like i mean i just feel like that kind of holding the audience's hand a bit too much and like i would have liked to have been thrown in a bit more at the deep end um and and also the fact that they kind of rehashed basically the first three episodes in in the runtime of the fourth episode just from a different perspective i kind of you know, I kind of understood what was going on. I kind of knew, especially, you know, based on a few theories that had been flying around on Twitter and so on, but even just with, you know, they, they shoot, they uh, they showed a couple of sort of moments from earlier episodes, um, you know, the, the beekeeper and, and so on, and it just felt a bit kind of like they were holding the audience's hand See, a I bit. I was quite... Personally, I, I thought that, that things like that Especially like the beekeeper reveal, I thought was particularly entertaining for me, and it was kind of like a the whole thing of like what was that, and then it, there's like ah, oh, it was an, uh, kind of that kind of moment for me. Um, I think in general, I'd say that the sitcom style wasp is entertaining. I'm sure they will kind of return to that um, based off the trailer and stuff. There's more of that to come. Um, I think personally, after three episodes. Uh, I think that maybe we deserve to see something else, and oh, no, no, yeah, they've yeah. necessarily continued that forever. No, no, I'm, I'm glad that they, I'm glad um, that they moved away from it. Like they, they had to, kind of had to. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I thought uh, I quite like the character of uh, of Randall Park's character, and also um, Monica Rambo. And I thought it was, I thought it was very interesting. I'll say that um, Kat Dennings, when she comes back from the four films, um, and she's probably the most irritating character in movie history um i don't know why of all the things they they could have taken out of the mcu they think let's get natalie portman's mate from the first two um thor films to just show up and just get weasel about and go uh, actually can i get a coffee 
Um, so I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing the first two films. That, so I I I, I kind I knew that she was from the four films. I had had heard about it, but I didn't like. I'm I've not seen those films, so I don't maybe have the the uh, yeah. The emotional she's a pretty bit part player in those. <laughs> yeah, I did have to go through sit through Thor: The Dark World to, to deal with her, but um, yeah, no, I thought it was a nice uh, change things up and. And I also understand that maybe um, he does, you know, you do or feel for uh, hold the audience hand at points and stuff. I think it was kind of good at just kind of getting out there and explaining for people maybe that were confused by the initial episodes and and also I think you know I was I was quite surprised actually by some of the events that happened. I think this impl- implication that Wanda is the one doing it rather than her being done to her. You know, I think that was quite a a, a change. I didn't expect that, uh, especially like to to come out so early. Uh, but I'll see what happens thing on. But I would say I'm very intrigued by the series, uh, yeah. And and I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm, enjoying I'm definitely it. enjoying it overall. I'm, I'm definitely like, so I'm not gonna like just ditch out now. Uh, I just yeah, like I say. Mm-hmm. I mean, this episode kind of had to just rehash those first three episodes content for sort of a new perspective. So moving forward now, it should be, uh, you know, all new stuff and sort of moving forward with the characters and so on. I'm just intrigued to see where things go and uh, you know how different the characters interact and so on and. You know when Monica Rambeau sort of fits into things, and uh, I thought, yeah, I thought some like like acting for Monica Rambeau was was great. I just thought some of the other acting wasn't particularly good. Um, some of the FBI agents and sort of the more generic sword agents were kind of a bit sort of generic for me. Um, I guess they're trying to maybe push that sort of lead those those lead roles a bit more. The ones that the, the uh, MCU mm. audiences are familiar with, so try and sort of get them on board, maybe uh, in the in the initial stages. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's why they stood out a bit more for me. Yeah, I think that yeah, it's interesting um, with, with those characters. I, I maybe I'd say yes if characters did come across as kind of generic and kind of and fairly replaceable. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I interesting what they do in Monica Rambo. I think it's one of the situations where maybe knowing the comics might give some stuff away um, where that hasn't been the case so far with uh, you know the, the, the more recent MCU in general uh, but you know the last time I really think that there was a massive advantage for comic fans knowing what was going to happen was the Winter Soldier reveal which wasn't surprising to anyone that had read a comic um, but yeah uh, we'll have to see what happens uh, before also, we go on to other things I'll just say one more thing as well uh, also I really liked the one thing I did like about the fourth episode was the more dramatic take on the the blip and the kind of repercussions of yes, that yes that's exactly and what I was about to say the, yeah. yeah and the way it sort of it kind of felt a bit off like not not in like a, I don't know like I kind of because I was watching it and I kind of thought Hang on a minute. Yeah, that makes that means that one division is actually set like here in the timeline, you know, like rather than maybe a bit later where I thought it would be. And um, yeah, and then just kind of trying to reorientate myself in terms of back into the MCU timeline, thinking where this fits in with other things and potential repercussions for for future things in terms of you know you know once one division's finished, where's that where's that going to sit with the upcoming films and so on and. And where does it fit into the wider MCU universe? Because I think that's something they're gonna maybe not struggle with, but just try and not only keep audiences sort of informed and uh, you know keep the audience sort of knowing where things sit, but also trying to while you're focusing in on these characters and giving them more sort of time to breathe and and grow and so on, is also to kind of 
you know, it's kind of like the whole thing with uh, Far From Home. It's like, you know, we've had we've had the big threat now, this big bard, and um, you know, what kind of where do you go from here? It's kind of with One Division. It's mm. like, okay, this is going to happen in in this TV show, but what's that going to mean for Wanda going forward? What's it going to mean for all these other characters who have been introduced and and so on? So just trying to sort of keep it sort of uh, grounded and and keep it, you know, keep the audience. Uh, informed and orientated in terms of the the wider timeline and universe. Yeah, I think it's it's fair to assume that uh, the repercussions of this will affect what happens in Doctor Strange too, because obviously she's announced to be in that uh, Wonder. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I think the you obviously said about the more dramatic blip. I think it was better handling of it than they did at Far From Home. Um, and also, I think visually uh, how it's shown with her kind of being pieced back together in the same style of uh, of of the, the of being kind of broken apart towards the end of Infinity War uh, was a good decision. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with WandaVision. We've got an episode coming out on Friday, of course. Um, so yeah, a couple that, days before that. But I'm that's one thing as well that it did kind of feel a bit jarring. That's what I meant to say when I mentioned the blip was when I was talking about reorienting myself in terms of the timeline. Also, just kind of trying to think, well, you know, if... It kind of felt a bit rushed. I don't know if you would agree. I kind of did like the more dramatic take on it, but I feel like it felt kind of obviously it's a you know twenty minute one time twenty minute twenty five minute episodes, and you kind of you know you can't linger too much. But um, I think that's it kind more of felt due to like the fact that it was just. I think it's because they're trying to want to focus on Rambo specifically. And it's just looking at her story. Yeah, I just mean well, even with her story though, it kind of felt like you know she came back and then you know all these people are coming back, and it kind of felt like. You know, people didn't seem too mm. like concerned or too like sort of, sort of surprised really. Like there's a bit of a kind of yeah. mild panic, but people didn't seem you know, especially in the hospital where you know a lot of people would have been, I guess, uh, just reappearing. Mm. You know, patients or whatever. Or um, you know, Monica Rambeau was obviously it was a guest there, but in terms of just, and then she just kind of comes out and starts speaking to a doctor, like sort of almost nothing's happened. Almost it kind of just felt. I don't know. It, it felt like it was kind. Of, it, I, I did appreciate the more dramatic take on it, um, but I kind of did have to kind of just do a take and like hang on a minute. So this is here in the timeline. So that means people are coming back. Okay, that well, that, that's kind of weird that no one's really sort of having a, a, an intense reaction to this. I don't know. It kind of just felt. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot of potential to make some good content that involves the, yeah. the blip and its um, yeah. repercussions going forward. But we do have got two other things to talk about. Mm-hmm. So. Let's move on, and um, and obviously World Vision is out every week, and we'll be talking about it next week as well, uh, probably until it goes and uh, to to ends because it's probably one of the most uh, kind of relevant uh, discussions. Uh, and talking of relevance, uh, we'll be looking at the number one film on UK Netflix this past week, which is The Dig, uh, and it is stars uh, Carrie Mulligan and Ray Fiennes. It's uh, a story of the discovery of a Anglo-Saxon ship in the English Suffolk countryside um, not too far from me not too far from me, about an hour away from me uh, in East Anglia, where I live and um, yeah, and, and kind of the situations around the, the dig itself obviously the titular dig uh, the kind of relationships between those involved, it also stars Lily James mm-hmm. yep, okay I always get mixed up between the, the two Lilies yeah. Uh, Lily James, and um, yeah, so 
without further ado, uh, JL, would you like to get your teeth into your thoughts on The Dig, which is available on Netflix? Yeah, so uh, obviously I mentioned this to you probably about a month or maybe a bit longer ago, um, that this is going to be coming out on Netflix. And um, yeah, we talked about potentially looking into reviewing it, and obviously it's picked up a lot of traction on, as you mentioned, on, on the UK Netflix. Um, a story that I hadn't really known too much about at all, really, in terms of the, the findings and sort of how significant they were for, for the time and so on. Um, but yeah, definitely a, an interesting story. Um, as you mentioned, this this film kind of takes a, uh, I don't know, more character-focused approach in terms of it has a lot of, lot of interweaving storylines with different characters, with... Um, you know, various couples and and, and um, you know Karen Milligan playing uh, the, the the widow the widow and um, yeah, just sort of these interweaving storylines. And I mean, overall, I've I think I've heard sort of generally positive thoughts um, going into it. Uh, I think I maybe thought I'd heard I don't know. I think I'd, I think I'd read more like a lot more positive reviews um, before I watched it. Uh, so I kind of went into it, you know. High, with sort of not high hopes, but just kind of just thinking it was going to be, you know, um, was was, was mm-hmm. going to be quite good. And, and I was I would say overall, um, it was I think my thoughts were, were quite positive overall. Um, you know, not as strong as some of the films that we've reviewed on the podcast before. Um, and it's just kind of alluding to my my overall thoughts, my overall score, which will come uh, a bit later. But I think in terms of um, I thought the two lead performances from uh, Karen Mulligan and uh, Ray Fiennes were were very good. Uh, kind of almost carried the um, you know main portion of of the story and um, in every finds I think he's one of you know he's, he's a great actor and we've seen him do great things in obviously in the Harry Potter universe um, but also he's done you know various comedy roles and dramatic roles and he's done you know I think he's very underappreciated um, I think he's I think he's a great actor and yeah. uh, you know he does, he, I think he does solid very very solid work here I think he elevates. Uh, some of the material, I think his uh, relationships and the way he presents uh, his character um, is very, you know, empathetic and, you know, it's down to direction as well, I guess. Um, but uh, Ray Fine's doing a great job and, um, you know, in, in presenting this this character, Basil Brown, the uh, this this excavator. Um, and also the way he sort of interacts with, with uh, Karen Wiggins' character and her child and so on is, is very... Um, you know, he's very uh, interesting and gripping at times, and he's just a sort of nice dynamic dynamic between between those uh, characters. Um, yeah, and uh, th- I thought um, cinematography was uh, was was pretty nice. So this, this, one thing I will say is cinematography. It kind of felt at times like they were using sort of similar shots um, for for maybe potentially no real reason, other than just to establish sort of. The sort of beauty of of the countryside in in that part of England, um, where you know it kind of felt like there was these really wide, sort of beautiful looking shots, and you kind of got to the point, you know, an hour in, where you're like, okay, these are some really nice shots, and then you get to the point towards the end of the film, and you're kind of thinking, you know, why are they showing this again? Almost, it kind of felt um, like some of the shots were, were maybe reused, or not necessarily the exact same shots, but just sort of similar looking shots were really used throughout to yeah. establish the the scenery and so on um but for potentially no real story reason um 
and what else was I going to say? Oh yeah, score as well. I thought the the score was overall was was quite um, was quite nice, and it kind of complemented the mood and tone of the film quite well. And there was one particular moment um, of triumph, uh, sort of in the first act of the film, uh, where the the score really kicks in and and sort of. I think it added a lot to the scene. I think without that, without that piece of the score, maybe the scene would have would have fell up um, a bit a bit more flat. Um, but yeah, I think at times as well the score could have could be quite overbearing as well. Though um, I think it was used at quite a few points um, where perhaps no score or a very minimal score would have been preferable. And you know they kind of opted for the opposite and and kind of overwhelmed um certain scenes with the score um but yeah I'll, I'll kind of pass over to you i've got i've got quite a few other thoughts that i want to mention but I'll, mm. I'll let you get sort of some of your initial thoughts out and then yeah we can potentially discuss a bit more in detail about what some of my, my other thoughts were well i'll say that i think a lot of my um more positive thoughts would have come on a on a technical level i think uh, maybe didn't have as much issue with the rehashing of shots that you did. I thought uh, the cinematography, by and large, was probably the greatest part of the film. Uh, I watched this in stunning 4K, <laughs> and uh, I thought it looked, uh, especially uh, kind of the water towards the end and and, and the and the sunlight over the uh, over over the Suffolk countryside was uh, particularly visually appealing. Uh, I think that was probably the best part of the film. I I did think the score was good, and I didn't have the issues of the placement as much. I, I thought it very much fit uh, the time very well, and I think that that kind of uh, f- kind of flows into my my last um, kind of big positive, which was I thought the production design and co- costume design was very high quality yeah. throughout. Um, the uh, film is set in 1938 to 39, uh, pr- in that p- kind of pre-war period. You know, you feel the bubbling up of, of tensions throughout the film, kind of culminating towards the end in in the uh, the war starting, um, which isn't a massive spoiler because you know people know dates. But um, yeah, I thought that was I thought he, the the costume and, and and the kind of general production design was was strong in that regard and really did give. Uh, that kind of that 30s feel and I thought that, that was good but my issues uh, kind of start from there really I'd say that um, I didn't particularly have the same feelings about the performances uh, I think that uh, Carrie Mulligan and Ray Fiennes are far greater actors than they show in this I, I think that that Ray Fiennes character you know was quite well developed and he kind of uh, you know, it was he, he, you know he had a good accent and, and 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 you know when he showed up he showed up well but I think generally throughout he did seem bored and I don't think this is necessarily caught his eye and attention in the same way that better projects would I don't think Carrie Mulligan who's obviously shown this year with you know talks of Oscar conversations for promising young women I do not think this is her in her prime I, I think um, you know this is kind of a very just middling along bubbling along performance of just you know to, to get the film out I really didn't think uh, that I, I was particularly impressed by those performances I would say that Lily James uh, was good when she showed up actually I think her character both from a plot standpoint and a acting standpoint was probably the best of, of the, the the you know in, in the film um, because the character added a bit of energy and, and changed up the situation a little uh, and has an element of romance in there uh, and also from, from her I think she she uh, she played the part very well um, I think that 
going to, to something like the screenplay and I guess the creation of the film in, in it's all I think it kind of goes back to to the GameStop the conversation that I just don't think all stories need to be told and yeah. I think this would suit maybe a, a, a nice indie film or, or something you know something from the the local tourist board but I just don't think it was an interesting story enough to, to warrant you know a, a two hour long Netflix film you know it's just maybe that's a, a personal thing and, and maybe a lot of people really liked it but I just don't think really anything really happened. Yeah. You know, there was no big revelation of the characters. Uh, it just happened they found a ship and there was a bit of discussion about where do we put it and that's basically I, what the film was. And, and I think... Sorry. No, I was just, just going to say I kind of agree with you on that front as well. That's something I didn't really touch upon. Um, well, I was kind of thinking when I was watching this, I was like, there's, there's so many films that could be made, so many stories that could be told about sort of, you know, events past and present that it kind of felt... Yeah, it did kind of feel at times, you know, why this particular story. Um, as I did say, though, it's a story I didn't know too much about, so maybe it was, um, I don't know, maybe just the sort of novelty of it and sort of learning about it. And even people who knew about it, maybe if someone was particularly interested and, and sort of maybe saw the film for that reason, might have been in- of interest to them. I think one thing I will... I, mean, I think it's very much... Just... Yeah, yeah. I think it's very much a story that's worthy of a, of a History Channel documentary. I don't necessarily... And it's a story that, that warrants that. I don't necessarily think this is a story that warrants uh, a biopic dramatisation. Yeah, I mean, one thing I will say is that there was some elements throughout the film. Um, so we talked about cinematography before, but I think editing as well. Um, it kind of felt like this film played it very safe um, at times. Mm. There was a couple of moments of really nice editing. There was uh, two sort of match cuts, one involving Caramel... I keep forgetting the character's name, like Caramel Gillen's character... Um, Edith. Yeah, yeah. Um, Edith. And there was a match court where she's travelling to London for a medical appointment. Um, and there's a really nice match court of, of her sort of in the in the tranquility and calm of her sort of surroundings um, in the countryside. And then it cuts to, um, you know, her surrounded by, you know, dozens of people in, in London. And there was another moment as well later on in the film um, where... Um, Basil is is laid outside on, you know, close to the uh, the dig site, and uh, then there's another match cut um, with uh, with Edith, and they're sort of laying in similar positions, and and the contrasts in terms of, you know, Basil's proximity to the dig site, and uh, you know, being outside and and sort of being in the dirt almost, and then um, you know, contrasting that with with Edith, um, I just thought there's some really nice editing choices, but it, it did feel overall. You know, because we got glimpses of that and uh, throughout, but it felt like it kind of played it safe for ninety-five percent of the of the runtime, um, which you know when you consider it's a two-hour film, uh, as you mentioned about a story which isn't particularly uh, intriguing. Mm, um, enthralling, yeah. yes. I'd say that I think "safe" is a word that very much sums up the whole film. You know, it's it never goes too far to doing anything, and yeah. it just has this nice, safe story about some nice little characters and their little lives, and you know, there's a little bit of tragedy, a little, um, but nothing too bad. And you know, the cinematography is is aesthetically pleasing, but not over the top. You know, it's just, you know, it's just very safe. I think is a general word. I, I think though, maybe some people might find that as. Uh, reassuring and, and kind of nice in this kind of period of over-the-top cinema i would say it borders on dull um i i think you know the screenplay does sometimes i think was quite good at giving characters 
uh, to make it does maybe give the feeling that characters are more important than they actually are, and I think that maybe uh, I think that the writing of Basil, you know, made him particularly a uh, likable character, and and I think uh, maybe suits uh, the role. You know, it very much gives off the vibe of of somebody from that period at that place, and uh, and I think that you know that you know maybe not not the worst script in the world, but you know I guess how much can you essentially polish a boring turd in in the set of the story really isn't much yeah um so yeah i, I said was... overall you know i just no yeah sorry. I, I just just i generally i i like a slow burn i'm not i'm not you know a michael bay head or, or anything you know i'm not i'm not that kind of person i, I appreciate a, a, a maybe a slower story and and i don't i'm not you know all about you know heavy metal and and monster trucks but it just I thought it was boring. <laughs> that's it, it go. I can just say that I think it was a boring film. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I I yeah I understand and fully appreciate uh, that sort of that sort of opinion. Um, one thing as well though is that yeah, that's what I mean. That's why I kind of feel a bit underwhelmed as well because it had glimpses of trying to say something more than just to tell the story it was telling. Sort of towards the end of the film, there's this the the um not I won't say monologue but the sort of short speech given by um I forgot the child's name now but uh, Edith Child and Robert. yeah and it kind of it kind of there was some sort of moments where I was like this could have very easily if you know if the screenplay had gone along these lines which I don't think it ever would given the premise of the story but this could have very easily have verged into Kajillionaire territory of uh, the, the toilet scene from Kajillionaire where it's this really existential um, sort that of that would have been a big move well the thing is that it kind of it kind of <laughs> if had David Lynch some, made the dig it kind of had some moments though of like sort of almost existentialism from the mother and the child and sort of reaching out to the stars and the parallels between, you know, um, looking back on, on history and, and sort of the remnants of, of, you know, ancient or, you know, you know, very old civilizations and societies and then, you know, how that sort of, how those uh, excavations uncover the sort of the mementos of, of you know, long gone... Um, people and you know this sort of a parallel uh, that's given with the f- in the in the modern day or, the, or at the time the the contemporary sort of setting with the photographs and um the the ring and the coin and there's a sort of a, blo- a bunch of sort of mementos and tokens throughout the film um where there's some really interesting parallels sort of between the future and the past and and sort of the correlations and you know is it is a moment of, uh, of Basil talk, talk, talking about how you know people don't really go and they sort of leave behind things and that's sort of how they leave their legacy and so on. And there's there's sort of moments throughout the film where I felt like it could have sort of said something a bit more and a bit deeper. And then it kind of just gets very muddled. There's a lot of side characters who sort of complicate and muddy the plot and did sort of the Lily James stuff as you, as you mentioned. Uh, Lily James one of the stronger performances in the film. And yet, somehow, her entire subplot almost feels kind of redundant um, and sort of unnecessary. Um, and I, I was reading up on on the the plot that's presented in the film. You know, there's a, there's a potential implication that her husband was um, was gay, and there's a sort of loveless marriage there, and and that's what led to the the breakdown of the marriage. But I mean, 
I've, I've read up on it afterwards. Films weird. I've I read up on it afterwards. Film, and, like yeah. Our feels weird because they make us want people to have affairs all the time. I was thinking, oh, I feel like it feels like half the films I watch. You're like, yeah, go on, shag someone else. But I was reading, I was, I was reading up on it afterwards, and apparently, yeah, there's no like actual, even like confirmation, and that's even true. Yeah. And also the fact that it just happens very quickly, <laughs> which doesn't even happen in real life, and you know, um, mm. there was something else. Oh yeah, that was it. Um, Carrie Mulligan's uh, character was actually 56. Um, oh really? So yeah, it's a very interesting conversation there about, you know, why is why is a thirty some, you know, mm-hmm. I would say attractive, uh, you know, young, Let's you know, away. Oscar potential front runner, mm. you know, modern actress. Why is she being cast in this in yeah. this role of a fifty six year old with? medical conditions and so on so yeah it was it was very yeah yeah interesting casting choice mm. there and the, one final note is we talked about acting before uh i would say that the, the, the robert uh the child i mean i always i always go after the children <laughs> in the reviews we do i always go after well, the children but i mean it's kind of you know Jordan just, McDonald, i always go after the children uh, don't, yeah don't don't please don't cut that out of context um, no, but I, I, I seem to be the one who's very critical yeah. of child performances in films. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think the, I think his performance was, was passable. I would say. Um, okay. Some of some of the, some of the line delivery was was quite weird. Uh, but yeah, maybe that's more down to direction mm. than, than anything else. Yeah, yeah. safe, safe. Yes, yeah, safe, safe, but sometimes dull. And uh, I think I'd give the film a quite lowly five and a half. Okay, I think I'm a bit more positive. I think I'm gonna go. F- I think a letterbox of three or three and a half, so like a six, six and a half. Something okay, like that. Okay, I think on letterbox, I maybe I'll give it like either two and a half or a three. Okay, so that was the dig, and now we're going to be talking about the main event of the evening. Um, so now we're actually recording this at midday, but. We're talking about It's a Sin, um, which has dominated my Twitter timeline um, over the last few uh, over the last few weeks, uh, released on all four, and has broken records for the amount of streams it's got for that particular service, uh, Channel 4 in the UK. Having that stream service this will be released on HBO Max in uh, about two weeks' time in America. Um, but yeah, it's broken records for the amount of streams it's received on Channel 4's uh, All 4 service. Uh, it's got praise from the likes of, uh, from within the film world, uh, it got a five-star review in Empire, it got uh, re- reviews from celebrities such as Graham Norton, uh, Elton John, um, so and, and uh, uh, Nigella Lawson even, I saw, uh, talking about it. Um, so it's kind of been a little bit of a, a mini cultural phenomenon uh, you know in the UK there's been so many articles written about it um, so I felt like we had to talk about it even though it maybe isn't something kind of thing that we'd always go into a uh, limited series uh, it's getting released week by week on, on uh, mainstream television however all episodes were released at the same time on streaming services so getting into it It's a Sin is the latest project from Russell T Davis um, who's best known for making the revival series of Doctor Who in 2005 and its spin-offs uh, Torchwood and Sergeant Adventures 
uh, after taking a break, he's made a few other TV series. He made Years and Years uh, a few years ago, which which did very, very well. Um, and he, growing up as a gay man in the 80s, um, made a f- uh, this a few years ago, wrote It's a Sin a few years ago. I, I understand that he struggled to get it released. Uh, you know, he worked with BBC rejected it, ITV rejected it, kind of making it, uh, but Channel 4 picked it up. So it's kind of semi-autobiographical, looking at his own um, events, kind of growing up, his experience of growing up in the 80s, as well as uh, a lot of other uh, gay people at the time. And this looks at the AIDS pandemic, uh, the treatment of gay people at the time, uh, the demonization of both gay people and AIDS itself. And yeah, stars um, a lot of, uh, it's got some cameos, you know, it's got some some parts from some some bigger uh, actors, um, namely Neil Patrick Harris, uh, Stephen Fry, Keely Hawes, but it generally uh, has a quite young uh, cast showing these young uh, up and coming, um, you know, you know, young people in 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 the period between 1981 to the last episode being set in 1991, um, and you know, le- led by uh, Ollie Alexander, who is best known for his work with the band Years and Years, coincidentally not not named for the same reason as as the uh, Russell T Davis show, but yeah. So over over five episodes, we take a look at the uh, the these lives, these groups of friends that meet at, at university in London. Uh, so. Yeah, it's obviously uh, it's a, been a big long introduction, um, but obviously uh, you know it's it's very relevant right now, um, and and this was obviously made, uh, written, uh, and and produced a long time before uh, coronavirus. Uh, obviously, we're dealing with now, but I think this has particular relevance because not only is it about diseases, but it's about social unrest and trying to change things. Of course, that's been so much in the news for the last year. And um, and yeah, so I want to hear your thoughts, JL, on, on watching all five episodes of It's a Sin. What did you think uh, of of this? I just want to say a big thank you to good old Sam Houston for recommending this to me and telling me to watch it for the podcast because, once again, something we've uh, watched for the podcast, which, to be honest... Sam says he's seen a lot of Twitter talk and discussion around this uh, this miniseries. I'm gonna be honest; I haven't seen a single tweet on my timeline about this. I can't believe that. I can't I believe that. I've seen loads. I know. I I haven't seen a single thing about it. I hadn't even heard about it well, until uh, I will say until that if it. you have a large American followership, it's getting released on HBO Max on the 18th. So you might see an influx in that week after that, maybe. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also as well, you've mentioned obviously the big influence of uh, Russell T Davis as uh, he, you know, obviously is a producer and and so on with the with the project. But um, just uh, wanted to. He wrote every episode as well. Yeah, yeah, and just to give a name drop to Peter Hoare, Peter, is that how you say it? Um, who mm-hmm. is the director? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just very glad I watched this. Uh, I'm gonna save my big. Uh, statement, um, mm-hmm. sort of. What's the word? Headline uh, quote. I, su- I should, uh, suppose, you could call it uh, for later in my in, my, in the discussion review. Um, but yeah, I will say. Um, I mean, this. I'm just so impressed. Like the entire cast was incredible. Um, mm. I thought everyone. 
you know, you mentioned even like the supporting, uh, you know, the big name supporting roles of like the likes of Stephen Fry and Keely Hawes and and so on. Um, but even sort of, you know, the just the main ensemble um, of of the friendship group um, of the students, you know, Alexander, Alexander, who you know I didn't even click on until after the first episode that, um, you know, years the years and years connection, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, just. So, Callum Scott Howells, Lydia West, uh, Amari Douglas, uh, Nathaniel Curtis um, as sort of the main five uh, of the ensemble, and just incredible writing and you know acting and performances. I think you know we talked before um, when we not, when we talked about Uncle Frank about sort of these. You know, as we move forward into the the twenty twenty one and and moving forward, um, you know, having these these characters who you know traditionally, you know, as is alluded to in in the miniseries, is all are almost you know swept under the carpet and you know not even talked about. You know, is is, is a moment. Uh, and I'm I'm going to try and avoid spoilers as much as possible because I think this is something that you should try and go into with knowing as very little as possible but there is one sort of moment uh which i wouldn't really consider us i mean it's not even a, it's not a spoiler um in in which they're talking about the um you know the censorship and uh the law the various laws surrounding um the promotion or even just the discussion of homosexuality in, in education uh in the united kingdom um and there's there's a moment or of discussion surrounding you know censorship and uh you know one of the characters is tasked uh, ash he's tasked with uh you know set going through the looking through the the books in a library and, and making sure that there's no promotion of any sort of homosexuality and there's this kind of discussion surrounding the fact that you know the, the there's literally you know almost zero representation representation historically um for you know the lgbtq plus community and to have this show in which you know there's this massive ensemble and every character feels you know very well developed um has you know a history and a background and, and we've discussed this with uncle frank as well but even more so here you know we get more time with the characters and it's it, you know get more time to um you know learn about their the backgrounds and so on and but every it just just the the writing i feel like every character had just just such great development and even i mean as comes with with great with great characters is even like the flaws and the negative aspects of people's personalities um are just so well written and very believable and it didn't feel like um it felt like they were real it felt like very much like real people it didn't feel like you know it, you know, it felt they they had, as as I said before, histories and so on, but also flaws and and, um, you know the the way the characters interacted together, it, it just felt very very well written. Um, and yeah, I'm sad I'm very glad that I uh, you recommend me to to watch this for the podcast because I probably would have you know completely missed it if you hadn't even mentioned it. So I'm very very glad you did. Mhm. It's worth noting. Um... I think I just I just before I go into part to my thoughts um, that it, you know it, it's it's all about AIDS you know it 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 
is about the gay uh, growing up as a gay man in the eighties and the discrimination that comes with that. Uh, but it is primarily focused on the AIDS pandemic and how it ravaged those communities um, with very little support from the outside world. Um, and it's worth noting that uh, the actor that played uh, ooh, I can't the uh, Richie's boyfriend uh, at one point. Um, Ash. His name is huh. Is it Ash? Not Ash. The first one, Donald. Oh, Donald, uh, when he put yeah, the yeah. Donald Bassett, the, the yeah. Nathaniel Hall was the name of the actor. He himself was diagnosed with HIV at sixteen. Um, so I think obviously it's a very, very. You well, know, I think the casting that. was obviously um, very. Uh, you know, had that in mind and stuff. Um, and, and I think it shows that it's an issue that hasn't gone away. It's an issue that still exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think that AIDS is used not only as a historical showing of, of the, the, the misuse, but also as a very clear way to show homophobia. And it, it represents um, the homophobia in a lot of the, the ways that it's looked at in the, sh- in the series. Um, but when it comes to actual straight up television, I, I completely agree with almost everything you say. I, I, would, I don't know what your headline is going to be, but this is one of the best pieces of television I've seen for some, for some time. I imagine it will sweep at the BAFTAs and um, it's I have to go back onto this in editing I don't know if you can hear the car alarm outside I can hear like a okay yeah okay (laughs) Um, yeah okay so apologies for any noise that you might hear there uh, but yeah, so lost my train of thought. But uh, one of the best pieces of television I've seen for years, um, and you know, it you could pretty much go through the list of performances and say this guy was good, this guy was good, this guy was good. Mm-hmm. I would say um, that particularly, I was uh, extremely impressed uh, by Lydia West who played Jill. Yeah. Uh, I think that you know that was one of the things that came to me straight away when I'm watching it. Like, I, who you know, I I don't really know who she is. She's gonna be big. She's gonna make it big. She was excellent throughout. Um, yeah. And both are, you know, I think more in in kind of the narrative of the show more than I mean in in a more wide sense. But she obviously her character Jill really holds the group together and is that real um, kind of leader and and kind of the mum of the group. And, and I think you know this that is not an easy. Uh, role to show as, as someone that's the same age as her contemporaries. Uh, she really, really nails that and, and really holds down the group. And, and I'll also say that specifically, um, you know, if you're looking at television, uh, if you're looking at individual performances in episodes, um, you'd be hard pressed to find many performances for me better than Keely Hawes was just gonna... did in episode five of the series she plays Richie's yeah. mum the main character's mum yeah. her in episode 5 uh, you know it's such a you know there's a big her character changes a lot throughout the series it's very clear and maybe isn't you know the same character you expect her to be and in episode 5 there's this amazing you know dominant performance that yeah I've heard people talk about her for supporting actress for BAFTAs and whilst it almost feels unfair to people that like Jill who have these performances for all five episodes that is such a specific, excellent performance from Keely Hawes. And, I was, you know, I was just gonna say yeah. I was. That was. I'm. I'm kind of glad you said that because, uh, you mentioned before about the supporting cast. You know, the the more sort of 
uh, widely known and older cast members, Stephen Fry and, and so on. And Keely Horse, you kind of mentioned her, but didn't really sort of... I mean, obviously we didn't get into the review at that point, but you didn't really go into much detail on, on those performances as, as the others, as I did. And I'm very glad you did, because I honestly was watching this the last, last episode, and I was just thinking, how on earth is Keely Hawes not been in much more? She's I've seen her, I've seen mm. her in um, uh, Bodyguard and um, The Missing, and everything I've seen her in, she's been exceptional. And she's been in so much BBC television that I just feel like, please, someone cast her. Take the I mean, I don't know if. if She's very comfortable and happy just sticking to yeah, BBC I television. Mean, I, I, but I, I mean, think... I'd be very, very disappointed and upset if, um, yeah, she, if if some if if she wasn't cast in in a, in like a big you know film project or something, um, just because I think she's incredible and uh, yeah, she needs to. I don't know. I just feel like she's very underappreciated. I, I don't personally feel like serialized national television is actually that much worse right now than than, than stuff like Broadchurch. I think you know destroys an awful lot of Hollywood. So yeah. I um, not that she was in that, but you know I'm just saying. You know, mm-hmm. For example, so I don't necessarily think that necessarily that movie is needed. She was in Rebecca, and she was one of the only good parts of Rebecca. Uh, I remember praising her on the podcast for being that good. But yeah, she she uh, was excellent. Yeah, I think. Uh, when you're looking at Neil Patrick Harris and Stephen Fry and Tracy Ann Oberman, um, you're looking at kind of cameos, really. You know, they they kind of they sharp and they serve a purpose, and you know, you mm-hmm. really do like the like like Neil Patrick Harris's character is really likable, and yeah. you know, you know, he whatever happens in the first episode happens in the first episode, but you know, with Stephen Fry and him, they they kind of are like, oh, look, the celebrity's showing up. And, and Tracy Ann Oberman but with Keely Hawes you almost feel that kind of bubbling under she's just like a little supporting actor she doesn't really matter she's just like oh the famous person's in this and then see episode 5 boom she's at the forefront and she kind of takes charge uh, and I think at the end of episode 4 as well uh, there's a sequence that really shows um, what I love about the the, the, the it's a sin uh, there's a shot of her walking around a hospital that there's this long long uh one shot. I don't know if you've yeah, if you noticed. Yeah, what yeah, I'm, yeah. If you remember what I'm thinking, I was she just in the hospital. Room. She's she, really she, good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, dresses out. She walks back. Then her dialogue with Lydia West. She's having that that conversation, pacing up and down. The, the timing there, the cinematography, you know, the direction, all comes out in that minute of film, and you and sums up what made this for me one of the best things we've ever talked about on the podcast. I think um, when you're talking about production design. You know, this is so 80s. This feels so... You know, I wasn't there, obviously. Yeah. I was born 20 minutes ago. <laughs> but it's so 80s. It sums up... And, and the music was, and the yeah, fashion yeah. changes episode to mm-hmm. episode in such a natural progression. The script is excellent. Every character is likeable. You know, all the, the main characters are likeable. And, and you really feel them. And you understand the nuances and where they are in their lives and who they're trying to impress. And... When it comes to the, the the world, you get this feeling of the attitudes towards gay people, how harsh it is, but also how much it changes. You know, there's this this almost shame that comes in the early 80s, in the first few episodes. These people are ashamed 
you know, because of the way they've been treated. It's only when it gets to the late 80s where people are happy and and strong and, you know, and, and not strong, but are empowered enough to make a stand because they feel like society has progressed to the point where they have to take action against the injustice. In the 90s, you can feel that everyone that, you know, that isn't, the, the, from the hospital scenes, from the dialogue with supporting actors, supporting characters, you feel like the dialogue is starting to change and people are becoming more and more accepting over time. It really does, you know, the script and the and say the production design, the music, does a great job of accurately representing everything from the hair to the attitudes of every individual era and how much the the, the life changed under Thatcher's Britain. You know, it, it really is uh, an excellent a showcase in time uh, and how time is represented. Uh, cinematography, I think, uh, for a essentially quite low budget Channel 4 drama was top notch. And I think that just shows the ability, you know, the, the, the excellent uh, casting uh, of uh, or crew uh, casting and the excellent direction of uh, what's his name, the one that you said earlier, uh, of, of Peter Hoare. The, you know, once again, the writing for Leslie Davis, just world class. I think it'd be really, really hard actually to pick any flaws. It's a big comment to make. It'd be really hard to pick any outstanding flaws. In in this, uh, if you could, then go for it. But I cannot think I can't, of an issue no. I had with this scene. It was genuinely one of the best pieces of television I've seen. Yeah, the cinematography as well. Uh, just give a shout out on that front. Uh, David Katz Nelson um, was the DP. Um, yeah, and I've just gone to Livebox, looked through nothing I've ever heard of. Very, I think, maybe a f- hmm. 2013 feature film. Uh, yeah, not very, not very much that's been watched by many people at all. Um, so, I mean, cast and crew, you mentioned before the casting, um, which was exceptional. And obviously, yeah, that, that's true because I've, as I mentioned, the acting was was top notch um, performances all round were exceptional no weak links and I, I keep I always say this there's no weak links in that ensemble and it, you know it's just you know it shows that you know everyone everyone played a role whatever this was like this wasn't even just no weak links this was like everyone was on top A game um, everyone mm. brought you know 150% performances um, you know just some incredible performances and then the crew um you know, direction and, and cinematography, as you mentioned, were outstanding. And the soundtrack as well, which was, um, you know, I think uh, I've, I've still not seen Wonder Woman 1984, but from what I've heard, there's not a single 80s song in that film, um, <laughs> or very little. And, uh, you know, this was, you know, the complete opposite, you know, completely set the mood and tone mm. of this kind of vibrancy, but also, you know, just this kind of, almost like a new new era and moving forward and as you mentioned with the changing views and so on um this kind of like vibrancy and, and and sort of the youthful era um that was the 80s um just yeah the production design costume set design everything uh as you mentioned very this is virtually no flaws with this at all mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um I think you know what how it handled emotion. You know, it, it's top notch. Um, the the way that you feel for those characters, um, and and you know, and you know, it's not a spoiler to anyone. You know, this is about AIDS. This is about a group of gay young men. They witness death. They die. You know that that 
I'm not going into Star Wars spoilers, but it really would. You'd be so naive to assume there isn't a lot of death here, mm-hmm. and a lot of hardship, and a lot of homophobia, uh, and it's you know, and it, it's deals with some very very sensitive topics, uh, and obviously that that's one of the reasons why Russell T, who I'm such a massive fan of, uh, has said that he was a hard sell because people didn't want to buy this. You know, you, you know, it's just it's a it's 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 a tough subject, um, but for me, you know. Openly, I'll say I was bawling for so much. I, I series episode th- three, four, five, so constantly. If I wasn't watching this with people, if I wasn't watching this with mum, I would have been absolutely. I was still crying, but just quietly. Just some of the characters and some of the events and some of the things they say in moments of of uh, fear and stuff. It's just honestly some, and some parts where it, I don't know why I was even sad at all, but. You know, when the police officer moment, you know, with, with Richie, you know, that that mm-hmm. was like, I was bawling. I don't know why. It wasn't a scenario. <laughs> it's just, I think, just the emotion you feel. You know what I mean? It was a very, so emotional. Yeah, definitely. It was, I was, I was uh, definitely crying, especially in the last episode. Um, you know, there's very much tear-worthy moments throughout. I think as well, though, it kind of, you mentioned like the... Unpredictable the, times. Oh yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say there was some very much some sort of shocking moments, and but it didn't. It never felt exploitative. It never felt like it was doing it just to no. just to shock people. It kind of did it in no. a more sensitive way. Obviously, it's meant to be shocking and kind of show the you know the nature of, of the disease of, of AIDS and also of the the way that. Um, but I mean, the, some of the most shocking moments were, were kind of just the things that you know almost just sort of very much true to life in terms of the way that um you know people were sort of locked away and, and shut away and you know isolated in in hospital wings and you know just the, the treatment of of people not just um in terms of homophobia but in terms of also the treatment of the illness and it kind of just you know it, it kind of just felt like that some of those moments were, were more shocking if anything than you know, some of the more narrative-focused elements in terms of, you know, I won't go into any details, but there was some particular moments um, involving some characters which I just did not see coming at all, which were very shocking. And mm. Yeah, mm. I mean, it kind of, as, as I was going to say, it kind of deals with it in a very sensitive way. Um, you know, it, it, it's shocking to the right level of, you know, it's, it's almost like, a, you know, you, you kind of become aware of the appalling treatment and you know he did, but in a, in a very sensitive way as well and i think um mm-hmm. one thing i will say as well is i think sometimes with films that deal with issues of whether it's homophobia or racism or any any kind of social injustice i always sometimes feel like f- films or tv shows don't do enough to to show the kind of uh repetitive and and daily nature and the the extent to which these issues affect people that they do um you know, but I feel like this series, in a way, kind of made me change my mindset on that. In in a way, because it didn't linger on. You know, it obviously shows moments of homophobia and, um, you know, the 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 issues that that the community faces. But it it never kind of it doesn't linger on on those people. It, the issue is prevalent throughout, of course. Um, but it doesn't. It, for example, there's one moment uh, in which it's a kind of a mini protest. And there's a, there's a lot of abuse being uh, sort of held around, but it, it didn't linger on 
on those moments really. He didn't give it. He didn't give uh, too much attention to sort of those um, those viewpoints and, and so on, which I thought was very sensitive and very appropriate. Um, obviously, he, he does highlight and, and give give prevalence to to those mindsets and attitudes, but it de- it never felt like it, it felt very very well handled, very uh, as I mentioned, very sensitive to the issues and. You know, there were there were very shocking moments throughout, but it, it never felt like it was it was being done just to. Yeah, it never felt exploitative, and it it felt very 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 well very well handled from, you know, cast and crew. So yeah. Yeah, of course, extremely you know sensitive tightrope to walk, and I think they do it elegantly. Um, so yeah, I'd agree. And you've said the exact same thing, but I just want the don't want the review to end without me saying the my my repeating the exact same thing back. Um, but you say, you know, as you, your, your comparison with Wonder Woman, um, you know, is, is fairly valid. I, I think, um, you know, I, I think uh, from a, a, a play, pure playlist perspective, you know, it really, they really choose some absolute tunes and yeah. fit in very well with the time period. Uh, and uh, Murray Gold did the score. Uh, he uh, was obviously, not obviously, because people don't really know composers, but he's in my good books and will always be for his work on the first 10 series of Doctor Who uh, 11 series of Doctor Who 10 series of Doctor Who um, but yeah and he, he comes up here I'm but just... it, he doesn't really matter because it's so overtaken by actual you know um, you know real um, licensed music that's used throughout and I mean obviously the show is named after a Pet Bo- uh, Shop Boys song so mm-hmm. you know it's it's music is very much at the heart of what it is and, and there's a lot of those characters um, you know live for music and stuff I just had a really stupid moment I just realised something I was thinking, like, there was, like, there was, so there's, I don't know if this is a spoiler, there's a moment where there's a Doctor Who, there's Daleks in, in one of yeah. the episodes, mm-hmm. and I was like, this isn't BBC, why are these here? And then I just clocked that <laughs> it was C. Davis. It was Davis. <laughs> That's how I first heard about It's a Sin, because I'm a fucking nerd, and I own, I occasionally will purchase <laughs> Doctor Who magazine, uh, and in it, there was a bit about, like, him, rim, re, him, um, like designing a fake Doctor Who set because he wanted to and because he loves Doctor Who so much. Yeah, and he yeah. made a, a fake episode. We need I to keep the crystal. I, I, I just clocked on that that was the connection. Yeah, you watched There's like a fake episode of, of Doctor Who on TV. Yeah, that was. Yeah, so I was always going to watch this um, because of that. But of course, always a, a massive fan of Russell Terrace. And not only will I be looking out for anything that he makes in the future, because I always will, but also I will have my tabs open on every single one of the main actors involved, uh, all of the residents of the Pink Palace, uh, uh, from from you know the from the actor for uh, Colin Callum Scott Howes, from the actor for Roscoe Amari Douglas, Lydia West already said about Jill Baxter, Nathaniel Curtis who played Ash. And of course, Ollie Alexander, who played the main character, Richie, best known for his musical work. Keep an eye on what he's going to do uh, from a uh, acting standpoint when it's going on, because they all put in, um, you know, absolutely excellent performances. Of course, for me, uh, I've already said Lydia West is a standout. But I, can I now hear your headline? Your what's your big statement? My big statement. Uh, I would say that my my big statement. Are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. It's a Sin is the best thing I have seen uh, for the podcast. Probably for the podcast entirely. Wow. And 
That it's is the big. best mini series I have ever seen, and mm. I will be very hard pressed. I, I something will have to be very, very, very good uh, for to knock um, this down to pecking order in my Letterboxd 2021 list. It's currently sat in uh, in first place, and that's above a lot of the Oscar talk films. So yeah, it's that is high praise. Yeah. There, saying it's the best thing that you've seen on the podcast, especially when you've talked so highly of things like Tenet, uh, is impressive. Um, yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure if I would necessarily say that because of a lot of the great stuff I've seen for the first time on the podcast, i.e. Baby Teeth, Blade Runner. Um, but it certainly is up there, and I think we will both, I, I'm certain, 100% certain, that we're both going to be joined on the same rating of 10 out of 10. Um, uh, it's the n- nine and a half. <laughs> no, it's a six. It's a six at best. Just it's a, a ten seven. out of ten. It's yeah, definitely the best limited series. Yeah, I've ever it's seen. It's the best um, limited series I've seen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's up there with with television. Uh, I think I think it's up there with some of the best TV shows I've ever seen. If you're counting it in in that conversation. Um, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, of course, episode three is airing on Friday night. Um, if you've watched the first two weekly, but if you don't, you have uh, if you're impatient. Uh, you can watch them all in the UK on all four now, and massively, massively important thing. Hopefully, I don't think we really said any spoilers, so that's good. Um, so, if you're American, on the 18th on HBO Max, they'll be releasing all five episodes. I could not urge you more to go watch it. It is yeah. absolutely splendid. Um, so, yeah, very glowing review from the both of us. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the futures of an awful lot of people involved in that program. Whew. That was that was good, wasn't it? That was you know, not not a bad. Uh, I mean, given the you know the dull, safe nature of uh, the dig, very having to go watch the dig. I had to go watch the dig after this, and I thought, this, yeah, this same, is so yeah. like I've just watched like all of this. This is not gonna. There's no way. I probably liked the dig more if I hadn't watched one of the best things I've seen in years just before it. Yeah, probably. But yeah, very. Uh... But that was our review of it's a sin, uh, of course. Uh, uh, excellent um, and that's about it um, next week we'll probably be doing uh, Malcolm and Marie which is the new producing lockdown is that right yeah yeah Sam Levinson I believe directed um, yes yeah. Sam Levinson directed uh, stars Zendaya and Tenet star John uh, David Washington uh, as a couple and and and, and We'll be looking at that next week, probably. Uh, obviously, we're talking about WandaVision, episode five, um, and probably another film. Um, but until then, you can follow us. Me, at Sam H Media. Jordan, at, at By John Luke. And the podcast, at Now Showing Film, on yep. Twitter. You can follow the uh, whiskey, the... the uh, uh, parent network uh, Music City Driving at MCDI Pod uh, and you can go on the website where you can find the podcast uh, including this one uh, if you like the podcast you should leave a five star review on uh, Apple Podcasts because that puts us up in the ranking um, you can follow us on Letterboxd uh, Jay Jordan but also at By Jordan Luke and me at Sam Houston um, and I think that is about all the plugs uh, listen uh, back yeah, to the whiskeys. To, it's a live video. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say go check out the whiskeys as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a live, it's a live video feed. You can see our faces, 
uh, on there, um, looking miserable because it's half one in the morning. It's uh, it's also available as an audio podcast as well on various platforms oh, as well. Is. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I'd recommend that rather than having to sit for us. See us on air in the morning. So, thank you very much for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, guys. Thanks, bye.